Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Forgive me if I comment on the lyrics of songs every single week. <laughs> wow, did you notice the theme there of forgiveness? grace and oh, don't we need it don't we need to know and be reminded often that we are free from any condemnation think about that sometimes we struggle to feel free from self-condemnation for one thing <laughs> or the condemnation of others but most importantly if Jesus doesn't condemn you what other voice matters so grateful for God's grace today. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and what's really caught me about the Sermon on the Mount, I guess, uh, as I've been going through it personally, is just over and over, it's dealing with how we live our life here and now, making wise decisions, not missing the kingdom that's present now, how living in Jesus can impact the decisions you make today that are practical, everyday kinds of decisions. It's not like our spiritual life's over here and then the rest of our life's over here. It's all together. Jesus wants to be part of everything and every thought and every attitude and every decision, not just the religious things that we think maybe God's most interested in. God's interested in all of it. So it's really practical. And, it, and in the Sermon on the Mount, notice Jesus doesn't lay out things like, what you find in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and you've got to believe in me, and John's emphasis, you've got to believe if you're going to be saved. And you don't see that in the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever noticed that? You don't see what we think of as the foundation of faith, the foundation of everything that we believe and, and everything else. It's more like this is a teaching for those who already understand the forgiveness that we just sang about. Does that make sense? And as a matter of fact, if you don't get it, they're the ones that are criticizing Jesus, and Jesus is saying not everybody's going to get it. But you guys get it, right? You know how crazy in love God is with you. How radical his grace is and his forgiveness to put you on a narrow path. Isn't it amazing? And aren't you thankful for U-turns that God's grace is real, that he welcomes us home, all the themes that we just sang about? Aren't you just grateful that God is so receiving and, and willing if we would choose to follow after him? I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude. It's not the, the theme of the sermon, but I just want you to hear it. It's the foundation of everything else, isn't it? We're saved by grace alone through faith. And the Sermon on the Mount comes along and says, oh yeah, you know, you don't have to wait for heaven. <laughs> you can start living under the lordship of Jesus now. Do you get it? Do you want to? <laughs> is our salvation real in the first place if we don't want to? More debates, but there it is. God's grace. Deep breath for me. 
I'm feeling like we have so much as a church family to be grateful for. This has been a, a really hard couple of years for everybody. And it's hard on the level of being a corporate church family. Maybe you don't know the numbers attached to it, but pastors pay attention to those things somehow and sometimes to their detriment. But in a year and a half's time, we've lost 40% of our in-person attendance. And I'm so grateful, as has been mentioned in the service, and rightly so, for our online worship. I'm so grateful that we can do that. <laughs> I'm so thankful. And personally, I really want people to hear I judge no one in terms of feeling the need to worship at home. I, I really... I really don't. I just want you to know it's not even in my heart to somehow do that because I need this ego prop of seeing more people in the pews. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. So grateful. But on the other hand, you could probably realize that I'm human too. <laughs> and it's really hard to jump up and down and say, yeah, we got 60% back. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's just an awkward and difficult season. And God has been speaking to me since our last service about this need to put on a garment of praise. And this need to recognize that Jesus is so much bigger than all the stuff that we get so preoccupied with that isn't quite right or fixed or ready or done. So this is good for me today to be together with you and to think about all of those things I'm grateful for you, church family, and I am grateful for you, Meridian friends who are online and guests and others that are here joining us. I'm so, so, so grateful for you. Are you grateful for our music today? If you're online, you have a chance to give them some love online. I hope you do that because we all need a little encouragement <laughs> these days. I was thinking just this week how grateful I am for McKenna, who has been mowing the church lawn all summer. <laughs> I enjoy uh, having a different perch than a lot of people do during the week to just notice people's faithfulness, people that write checks uh, for our church, people who balance the books, people who write reports, people who call committee meetings, people who do things that others don't see, um, people who are in the nursery right now, people who are at children's church and teaching Sunday school in the next hour, and people who baked homemade goods so you could have those between service and Sunday school today. <laughs> Um, Miranda is leading our adult Sunday school class, second hour. It'll be right here. You can get your baked goods and your coffee and bring it back. And if you're teaching, you can watch it later, like Jacob said. But she showed me some of her slides. And she's got some pictures in there from 15 to 20 years ago. And it just caused me to think how thankful I am my family, my church family, how grateful I am and how important it is to, to keep that in mind. I'm getting older. helps me to realize that when you see pictures like that. I'm getting older, and I feel like the vision day that's coming up is that appointment that I need, Jacob. I, thank you. Um, I'm so glad Jacob gave the pastor's prayer today. <laughs> If you're watching this sermon later on YouTube, go back to Facebook if you can and listen. Uh, so, so important. 
to think about, I also have horrible vision. And so we should compare notes sometimes, get, get our doctors together. <laughs> I mean, I would literally not recognize who you are if I didn't have my contacts in right now from this distance. And it's true, there's constant adjustments and you just don't know what you don't know. So what is the log in our church's eye that we can't see today? You know, we're so busy wanting to find the speck somebody, someplace outside of ourselves, but what is it, Lord, that you as the great optometrist, I love that. <laughs> what is it, Jesus, that you would show us if we'd be willing to just show up and pray, say, Lord, help us to know. I have six now, six friends who are coming who are not attenders from our church. I want you to expect their presence. This is in 13 days, by the way. Do you realize this? The Vision Day is coming September 25th. But I have six friends who are coming, and they're coming to help serve um, the meal. They're from Homedale Friends, they're from Whitney Friends, and they are from Caldwell Friends. And um, they'll also participate a little bit just to see what it's like, to see if this is a valuable process maybe in their own churches. We have two gentlemen coming who are incredibly qualified people um, who are going to facilitate this process. And one of them, I don't know if you've read their backgrounds online of the Genesis group. This guy was, help me if I'm wrong, but he was a prosecuting attorney in Los Angeles County and put away some of the harshest criminals. And I'm thinking, what, what log is this guy going to see? In our, our, our <laughs> He's got a varied experience. Um, he's going to preach the next day, which I'm really excited about. Um, but they're actually flying here um, to be here at Meridian Friends from Southern California. And I'm, I'm just hopeful. I'm hopeful for what God might be willing to show us and what God might be willing to do. On Wednesdays during our prayer meeting, we've been praying a lot about this and we'll continue to do so. And I trust that you're lifting the process also. Corey's going to speak for 10 minutes about the history of Meridian Friends. And, and who better to do that? I'm looking around in the room. Yep, he's the qualified one right there. He's, he's, he's only been here over 50 years at our church. Uh, grew up here and has a very unique perspective. And I think it is one of those things where we're celebrating who we are what God has done in our history, helping us to understand what a precious gift this church could be to this community and this generation and this time. And I firmly believe that as friends, we have a heritage we can be so thankful for. I'll never forget, I had a seminary professor tell me, oh, you're a Quaker, aren't you? And I said, yes, it was based on something that I had said. As he guessed, and he says, of all of the religious traditions that I know of, and this is a theology professor, friends have the least to be embarrassed about. And I thought that is a huge statement. And I really carried that with me and thought about that. And I really believe that God is not finished with Quakers in this world. I believe that God's not finished with Meridian Friends Church in this community. I really believe that. And I've given 27 years of my life to it. So maybe my vision's cloudy. 
But this is what I love the most about this experience is I will not be behind a microphone like this. This is my chance to say something about it. I will not be wearing a microphone. <laughs> and we will be facilitated and guided through a process. So I thank you if you've RSVP'd. Um, we're, you know, if, if the numbers stay as low as they are, we're just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will show up in that. And we get a bigger budget for lunch. You realize that, right? So <laughs> we really do hope you can come and that you'll let us know that you're coming. The Sermon on the Mount ends with a great crash. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you're not familiar with how the Sermon on the Mount ends, as Matthew has presented for us, the central teaching of Jesus, what does it look like to take Jesus seriously and to follow him? Not just like a fire insurance for one day, I don't want to deal with eternal punishment, but right now, what does it look like for people like us to be rallied around the name of Jesus and the lordship of Jesus and to say, I want you to have control of my daily decisions and the, the mundane things and my thoughts and my heartbreaks and my attitudes. What does that look like to be more than just people who worship on the outside, but who live out what it means to have Jesus as the king? What you'll notice as you turn with your Bible to Matthew 7 if you're reading just the headings that are, for example, in my Bible, these are warnings, aren't they? Jesus ends his message with caution. He helps us to see that the importance of everything that he said by describing a crash that's going to happen. This is a tricky world to live in, isn't it? There are what Jesus would call false disciples. People who think that they're in and they're actually not. This is a tricky world. There are false voices who claim to be leaders, false, Jesus says, prophet, who tell us things that are not true. Jesus has already said in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to be really careful and discerning. Because one way is going to look like the right way, and it actually isn't. And in my thinking, it leads to Jesus offering this incredible picture of stability versus crashing. Would you stand with me as you're able? And I am reading from Matthew chapter 7. We are finishing the Sermon on the Mount today, the Lord willing. Are you ready? Reading from verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Remember that. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? <laughs> Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fr bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Isn't that true? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Now, not everybody who says to me, this isn't just a leadership thing. Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one 
who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Sound like fruit? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. And this is why I want to take this all together because this is what Jesus is saying. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and bears fruit, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Sure, the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blow and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, did you get that? is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Sure enough, the rain came down, the streams rose. I know the Sunday school song's going in your head. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And Matthew wants to add these words so we understand something of his eyewitness experience. When Jesus had finished saying these things, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. May Jesus grant that we're not just amazed, but that we're obedient. Amen. Please be seated. Credit where credit is due. My office administrator has never picked a better image for a sermon than this one. <laughs> nice work, Carrie. <laughs> I want us to be thinking about the direction of our lives. I want us to be thinking about where our daily decisions and where our choices and our practice of following Jesus, how it ends. That's what Jesus wants to emphasize as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. He wants us to think way down the road, not just what's in front of me right now. And that's hard to do, isn't it? I mentioned this has been a strange couple of years. It feels like that's all we can do is put our head down and just focus on the very next thing. I get it. But Jesus says it's very healthy and very important for us to consider what's next and what's coming as a result of the way we live our lives. I've been doing a little bit of looking online and I learned about the tallest building in the world right now. Do you know what it is or where it is? Pretty interesting stuff. It's the Burj Khalifa building. It's in Dubai. Some people still think that the United States is the most advanced country in the world they still think that we're perhaps the most moral country in the world. They still think, and that thinking may be aged by a couple of decades, if you just look, look around. The tallest building in the world is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It raises more than 2,700 feet. That's over half a mile in the air. 
there's also images online if you want to look at it of someone posing up there with a sign that says on top of the world and that one is real. The Tom Cruise one on top of it is not real. <laughs> Just so you know. This building has 160 floors and is twice as tall as the Empire State Building. Have you been on top of the Empire State Building? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And, and you can feel it move. That's what I didn't expect. <laughs> this thing's moving. It's home to the world's fastest elevator that travels 40 miles an hour. I mean, you'd have to be there all day to go 160 floors in the elevators I'm familiar with. The Burj Khalifa hosts the world's highest outdoor observation deck on the 124th floor and the world's highest swimming pool on the 76th floor. But the secret, of course, I'm reading this for you, to the stability of this massive building is found where? Underground. You better believe it. It's amazing people go up a building without really knowing what's under it. Am I right? Think about this. Before construction began to rise up, workers spent a year digging and pouring the massive foundation that supports this building. The foundation contains some 58 1,900 cubic yards of concrete. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> Weighing more than 110,000 tons. I mean, this is an incredible building. And the reason that the building is safe, would you go up it? I just want to know, would you? <laughs> The reason this building is safe and people do it every day and they work there and everything else is because of the foundation. And this is the lesson that Jesus wants to offer as the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount is that we need to pay very, very, very careful attention to our foundation, especially if we want something that's meaningful on top of it. I suppose the less significant the structure the less significant the foundation is. But who among us wants to live a life where we would just say, I don't know, I guess I did something. There's something in all of us that wants to leave something that is good beyond ourselves. So what kind of foundation are you building on? Jesus here identifies two kinds of people. I know you expect me to say it, so I'll just say it. I have an accountant friend who tells me there are three kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. If you're online, what you don't know is that they're laughing hysterically, and you can't even hear it. That's what's really happening, so there it is. Okay, there's Jesus describing two kinds of people. These two people actually share one thing in common. Have you ever noticed that about the Sermon on the Mount? They share one thing in common, and what separates them is the critical factor. So, first kind of people Jesus talks about are those who hear and who practice what they hear. What did they just hear, by the way? No, they didn't hear Ken preach since April. <laughs> Been in this series a long time, right? They've heard Jesus offer the Sermon on the Mount. So those wise ones for whom the structure will not crash long term, 
are those who heard, one, and two, more importantly, they put it into practice so you can guess what's coming, right? Jesus describes a second group of people, those who hear and those who do not practice Jesus' words. And I think what's important about this is a lot of times when we think about the wise man built his house upon the rock, what we think about is, well, we're talking about the foundation of faith. We're, we're talking about building your life on Jesus. And I'm not saying that's incorrect. It's just not the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Did you know that? Both of them are aware of what Jesus has said. It's not a matter of awareness. It's not a lack of learning that makes the difference between these two. Because the most learned in Scripture among them were the ones who would crucify him. It's not, not just those who hear the truth. It's those who practice the truth. Ugh. I mean, talk about a log in our eye. This is the kind of stuff we don't want to be honest about. I think any one of us who spent any time asking the Holy Spirit to direct our lives could probably identify something that we are procrastinating that we know Jesus says, go do that. Am I wrong? Isn't there something in your life that God's talking to you about and says, put this into practice? Just one thing? And the difference isn't whether or not we hear it. The difference is whether or not we do it. Here's my noticing about the Sermon on the Mount and the way he concludes it with this house built on the rock versus the house built on sand. Is that Jesus only describes two kinds of people. Jesus only describes two gates. There's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. And Jesus only describes two paths. There's a wide path and there's a narrow path. And Jesus says there's only two destinies here to pick from. There's the thorn bush or there's the fig tree. There's false and there's true. I think that's maybe the most important thing. To me, what I see Jesus doing is I see him giving us a summary, his conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, by saying this, we must choose. See, there's something in all of us that doesn't like this at all. <laughs> Have you ever heard this? I'm keeping my options open. <laughs> Avoidance. Denial of the fact that I need to choose anything for certain today is the way we often in our human thinking like to live. And as I mentioned last Sunday about this wide and narrow path, what's so sad about it is that the reality is most people, perhaps, because it's a wider path, am I wrong? Most people, well, by Jesus' definition, not be on the narrow road. I don't like it. Do you? I, I mean, if I could keep my foot on the boat and the foot on the dock for a while, 
so I can really figure this out. <laughs> can I trust this boat? I'd like to do that. I'd, I'd like to make sure. I'd like to just sample obedience to Jesus while holding on to things that bring me more security and comfort and pleasure and everything else. But it doesn't work that way. You know, the word decide literally means to cut. Did you know that? When you decide something, you're cutting off other options. And it's scary to us. You've heard of FOMO, right? My grandson has FOMO, just so you know this. He's at Grammy's house yesterday, and this kid is just pop-eyed, and he will not sleep. He went home and slept like four hours. Everything, he wants to take it in. We have FOMO when it comes to making decisions. I don't want to miss out on what that path is because there's a lot of people taking that path. I mean, that gate must be okay because a lot of people are going through that gate. And Jesus says, watch out. That ends in a great crash. It, it looks safe. It looks true. It looks right. But have you inspected the foundation to know? I officiated a memorial service yesterday for Ken Henderleiter at Melba Friends Church. And Ken's son, Chris, the pastor at Melba Friends, has been a, a dear friend to me for a lot of years. Sitting with his family this past week. You know, when a funeral comes, you just can't help but think about the long-term stuff. I was so happy to hear a son describe his dad the way Chris could describe his dad. The thing that um, put Chris into tears immediately was that his dad said with words more than daily, I love you. And apparently... Chris's dad wasn't raised in that environment or that generation. And he lived out that love. He described his dad as a big kid. He <laughs> would always get on the level of his family. See, what's going on for you and me right now is we're leaving a legacy. We are on a path. We're moving. We're going somewhere. The decisions that we made yesterday, even though we didn't think about it necessarily as a long-term thing, made a difference. The decisions that we made last week make a difference. The decisions that we as a church did or did not make a month ago or a year ago are making a difference. And while we would rather stay in a place of, I don't want to know, I'm content, I don't know, do I really have to decide? When you're in a funeral setting, don't work. Our time is short. We have today to glorify God with our life. We have today to bend the knee to Jesus 
with our attitudes and our decisions and our willingness, our voices, our work, and we don't get today back. Those who build their house upon the rock, thinking all through this whole Sermon on the Mount, everything that Jesus has had to say, are those who hear and who accept this invitation to follow me. They are the wise ones. And Jesus said, if you're serious about it, you'll actually be persecuted for it. But those are the ones, the, the ones who are truly hungry for Jesus' righteousness, not their own. The wise ones who build their house on the rock are few in number. It's startling to me to think that you really don't have to go out of your way to curse God to end up on the path of destruction. It's just more of, and I didn't make a decision about it. I, I just kept going this way. I, Jesus spends so much here warning us. So many words. Do you see all the red letters? It's this whole thing. Be very discerning. Watch out for that plank. Ask, seek, and knock. You need help. You need discernment because narrow and wide and sand and rock. And I sense in all of this that the desperate love of a God who cares about us and who cares about where our life goes and whether at the end of the day the foundation is going to support or crumble. But they're few in number and they're hungry for God. Don't you get that, the flavor of, of the whole Sermon on the Mount? They're the ones who don't believe they've made it yet, right? They're the ones who freely say, man, I'm humbled by God's grace. I've got so far to go. There's so much for us to do. There's so much out there on the horizon. I want to grow in Jesus. I, I'm hungry. I want his righteousness, not mine. I, I want to keep moving. In this path, this is the life that I want. I'll contrast that with those who build their life now on the sand. Those who build the life, their life on the sand are those who, yes, hear, but in essence, they ignore Jesus' words, right? Only two options. Really something for all of us to think about. There, there are many, but get this. I think they're the well-accepted ones. Remember, if you choose to follow Jesus, you choose to follow someone who was rejected. His way of suffering, his way of obedience is the difficult way. It's the painful way. And that's what he calls us to. If the gates are wide somewhere else and the path is wide somewhere else, I see Jesus saying, look out, because you may not even know it, but there, there are false voices out there pushing you in this direction or that direction, and it seems right to you. 
And then there are true prophets. And, and historically, what do we do to prophets? We don't like them. Now, if you have a spiritual gift that is prophetic among us, in meaning you tell the truth even though people around you don't like it, <laughs> God bless you. And may God give us grace to repent when we hear your voice. We, we just did a round. We, we're just doing a round of staff evaluations. They're always so much fun. <laughs> it's my fault we have them. I know, I know. But sometimes you get feedback that's a little unexpected. And you think, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. What'd you pick a prophet for to evaluate me? <laughs> They're going to tell me the truth. And it's, it's what we want. It's what we need to hear. Do you see Jesus' prophetic voice? They did not like it. They did not. They wanted to stay where they were. They, they wanted to be comfortable. They just wanted a pat on the back. They wanted to be accepted. They didn't want Jesus to say, your house is going to crumble. And it leads to destruction. Those who build their house on the sand ultimately, I think, and these are my words, you can disagree with them if you want, are hungry for affirmation, for lack of better term. As you read through the Sermon on the Mount, they're the ones that just kind of want to fit in and say, you know, what's, what's the minimum bar I could do here and still be okay? And what does that look like to be religious? And they're satisfied with the wide path. They, well, the law says, you know, this right here. And the law says that. And the law says that. And Jesus says, um, you know, if you've even thought about it, that's a problem. <laughs> we don't want to hear many times the prophetic vision of Christ for our life or our church. We don't want to hear how it might mess things up with regard to my comfort <laughs> and, and my sense of what I think. And it takes repentance and grace and obedience to be willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. Four months ago, I read you a story written by Professor John Kessler. It's a rewrite of one of Jesus' parables that I'm sure you recognized as I read it. I want to repeat it as a conclusion now to the Sermon on the Mount. So you heard this in April and you're hearing it now in August. Do you like stories? Sit back in your chair. <laughs> You put your pen down, there's no more fill-ins. <laughs> Imagine this story with me. A businessman decided to throw a party for some of his clients. And because he was doing so well, he spared no expense. He hired the most expensive caterer he could find and rented out the meeting room of a five-star hotel. He paid an army of uniformed wait staff to serve his guests from gleaming silver trays. He commissioned an artisan to carve an ice sculpture of a swan and had it 
floating in a lake of punch. Engraved invitations were sent out in advance, hand-delivered by special messengers in plenty of time for everyone to clear their calendars. But somehow, when the hour came for the party to begin, the host found himself alone. Not one guest bothered to come. Not even the mayor. After waiting an hour, the host asked his assistant to get the guest list and begin making phone calls. The first person his assistant called was very apologetic. She said she fully intended to come, but just as she was about to leave for the party, her realtor called to say that that offer she placed on a piece of property had been accepted and they needed to close the deal. The woman decided it was only prudent to take one last look at the property before signing the papers. She sincerely hoped the host would understand. The second person the assistant called was also deeply apologetic and a little embarrassed. I really meant to be there, he explained. But yesterday the Toyota dealer called me to tell me that my new hybrid had finally arrived. You wouldn't believe how long the waiting list is for this car. Maybe during this time we would believe it. <laughs> anyway, the dealer said I could take delivery on the car today. And after waiting six months, I just had to take it for a test drive. I was having so much fun showing it off to my friends that the party completely slipped my mind. I'm so sorry. The next person, the assistant, phoned, didn't even bother to apologize. In fact, he was quite abrupt on the phone. He said that he and his wife had just come back from their honeymoon and didn't want to be bothered. It turns out they had just had their first fight as a married couple. They were on the verge of making up and they wanted to be alone. It went on like this until the assistant had called every name on the guest list. Everybody, it seemed, had some kind of excuse. When the assistant went back and reported the disappointing news, the host was understandably angry. What was he supposed to do? The hotel was already booked and the deposit was non-refundable. The food was already prepared and the ice swan was starting to melt. Suddenly, the host got a flash of inspiration. He remembered that on his way to the hotel, he had passed a group of homeless people. He called the assistant over. Go out there and tell them there's a free meal for them in here, he said. Didn't take long for word to spread out on the street and soon there was quite a crowd filing sheepishly in the door. But even with these newcomers, there was still plenty of food, and most of it was in danger of going to waste. Looking at one of the street people enjoying the hors d'oeuvres, another flash of inspiration came to the businessman. Call the homeless shelters, he told the assistant. Tell them to bring all their people down here for dinner. In the meantime, the guest who had purchased the new car, happened to drive past the five-star hotel on his way home, feeling guilty. He decided to show up at the last minute. Because he had been out driving around in his new car all day, he didn't have time to change into his tuxedo. But he thought, better late than never. When he first saw the ragged-looking crowd seated at the tables, he thought he'd come to the wrong place. But then he saw the hose standing in the corner, and went over to him to make his presence known. Instead of being happy to see his guest, the host was angry. He called for security and had the guest ejected from the party. 
The host said, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, beware of the crash. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf have been butchered and everything is ready, come for the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the banquet to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited, few are chosen. Would you stand with me as you're able? Jesus, here we are as an act of worship, just as we are. So undeserving of your invitation so undeserving of your death that purchases our forgiveness. You've more than engraved the invitation for us to live a life that is built upon the rock. God, would you have mercy on us to tell us the truth? to speak clearly where we need to hear it. And Lord, would you have mercy on us as individuals, as couples, as families, as a church family? Would you help us to see what we just can't see? Would you help us to hear what we can't hear? Thank you, God, for the grace of the Sermon on the Mount that you haven't left us here to just sort of figure it out on our own. Here we are, Lord. Offering ourselves afresh. Desperate. Not satisfied with what we can do or even what we have done. Ready for you to show us the way. Jesus' name we pray.